Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. I think God has something for us today, so we're glad that you're here. We're going to continue in our series of messages we started for the month of April, uh, where we're talking about the game of life. Is life really a game? Is this something that just is all by chance? Or are there some things that make it different that we can set up a, a series of wins for us and overcoming life? Are there th- steps that we need to take, let's put it that way, in order to see that happen in our lives? Last week, we talked about embracing the truth of absolute truth, that absolute truth does exist, and I even said that absolute truth must exist in order for the universe to operate properly, to, for, for the universe to operate and to continue to, to uh, function as it does, it requires a foundation that is unchangeable, uh, principles and standards that never change. That's what makes everything work properly. And that is also true in our lives. God doesn't just display himself in the universe. Romans chapter 1 teaches us that God does that. The universe declares the glory of God, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1. We can see the methodology, we can see the creative hand of God in the universe, but he's not just concerned with the universe, God is concerned with your life personally. And if you want to have a properly functioning life, it must be built upon the universal truths that God gives to us in His Word and through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is, in fact, absolute truth for us to look at and to follow and to build our lives upon. Today I want to talk with you about the subject of good and evil. Um, Do good and evil really exist? Now, one of the, the thoughts that I shared with you last week about absolute truth, stated that absolute truth is more than an idea. Truth is more than just a set of ideas. Truth is actually a person, Jesus Christ. And ideas flow from him. But absolute truth is built upon the person of Jesus Christ. The same thing can be said about the subject of good and of evil. Good and evil are more than ideas. They're more than adjectives that we assign to certain acts. Good and, I, good and, and uh, evil have their origination, they originate in a personal, individual being. Both of them do. Now most people have no trouble believing that with regards to good. Most people will believe the idea that good comes from a personal God. 
But while the world believes in evil, and it believes in evil acts, it does not believe that those acts come primarily from a personal being, someone that the Bible identifies as Satan or the devil. And you get this from the the comments that come from reporters who are covering acts of terrorism or or acts of of violence. And and they will state that people who, who commit such crimes are often then referred to as evil people, perhaps deranged people, perhaps mentally unstable people. They will use those types of words when talking about people who commit acts of evil. But the evil itself is never seen as coming from a source. It's never attributed to a force that the Bible identifies as Satan or the devil. But that is exactly how Jesus looked at it. He saw evil coming, not just out of the heart of man, but the core of evil was centered in a person, in Satan. He considered Satan to be a real being. Look at John chapter 8, verses 42 through 44. He's speaking here to some Jewish leaders, and he says, If God were your father, you would love me, because I have come to you from God. But I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He always hated the truth. And because there is no truth in him, when he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus is saying at least three things here about evil, I believe, as I read down through these verses. Number one, I think he is saying that evil always produces death in one form or another. Evil eats away at you as a person. It is a death shadow over you. When you give yourself to evil, you are are living under a cloud of death. Because Jesus said, that the thief, speaking of Satan, comes only to kill, to steal, and to destroy in John 10.10. So you, you have to understand that evil brings death. He talks here in these verses about murder. Secondly, he says evil acts flow out of deception. The, the greatest deception is on you personally if you follow evil. You are being deceived into it. Then number three, he says that evil originates from a person. There is a power. There is a force. There is a person behind the death, the deception that we've talked about. And Jesus calls him specifically by name, the devil. Now the interesting thing is in in this portion of scripture here, that Jesus in this dialogue is not talking to a group of what we would consider outwardly evil men. They were very religious men he was talking to. He's talking to the religious leaders of his day. In fact, 
several verses up from what the, the, the verses we read in that same chapter, these leaders are kind of in an argument with Jesus about their spiritual pedigree, about how spiritual that they, that they were because they were descendants of Abraham. But Jesus called them slaves and then told them they needed to be set free. They didn't receive that really well. They became extremely angry. And they said they had never been slaves to anyone and they used their legacy from Abraham to prove that they were free people. And they said that they were already free because Abraham was their father. But Jesus hits them between the eyes then. And he says to them in verse 44, Abraham is not your father. Your father is the devil. Wow. No wonder they wanted to kill him. That, I mean, you're going up to the, the major religious leaders of the day saying, you guys are of the devil. You're full of, of the character of your father who is Satan himself. Now, I bring all that up to tell you that according to God's word, evil is much more than just an idea. In fact, evil is much more than just an act that a person may commit. And just as good exists and, and emanates from the, the person of God himself, evil also exists and emanates from a person. And his name in the Bible is Satan. And he has great influence, I think we would all agree, over all of the created world and the human race. So with that in mind, I want to make a few observations and, and talk a little bit about this, this idea of good and evil. Not just as an idea, but as a reality. And the first thing in talking about good and evil that I think we need to understand is that there is a natural world and there is a spiritual world. And they are both equally real. In fact, the spiritual world is greater than the natural world. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, For though we live in this world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. And then he goes on to talk about the divine power and what the effectiveness of, of the spiritual weapons that we have. And so the Apostle Paul, in talking to the Corinthian believers, says there's a spiritual war that all believers are engaged in. And he says, worldly weapons, our own craftiness, will not win in this battle, in this war. You've got to use spiritual weapons to win in the spiritual realm. He calls it divine power in that last line. So he's talking about the existence of a spiritual realm in addition to the existence of the natural realm. Now, all of us understand the existence of the natural or the physical world because we live in it. It's all around us. And, and we relate to the natural world on the basis of the five physical senses that God has given us. We can see it, we can hear it, we can taste it, we can feel it, and we can smell it. Sometimes when the wind blows off of the Great Salt Lake, I wish I couldn't smell it. 
But that's another story, right? But we relate to the created physical world around us through these five physical senses. But here's what I want you to understand. You do not relate to the spiritual world through those five same senses. Jesus said about the people of Israel over in Mark chapter 4, he said, these are people whose eyes are open, but they don't see a thing, whose ears are open, but they don't understand a word. I underline those parts I want you to catch. They don't see. Hey, their eyes are open. Why don't they see? They don't understand. They don't hear. Why aren't they hearing? They have ears. They have perfect hearing, but they don't hear. So their eyes are working. Their ears are working, but they don't see, they don't hear. What in the world is Jesus talking about? He's talking about people who do not see, who do not understand the world of the supernatural that is around them. They have no concept that it's even there. Those are the people who crucified Christ. They had no concept of spiritual reality. They heard the same words... That, that, Jesus, that, that Jesus spoke, they saw the same miracles that Jesus performed as the followers of Christ did, but they were blinded and deaf to what they meant, to what God was saying, to what they saw and what they heard. And people are still like this today. All around, God is revealing himself. I, I referenced Romans 1 just a moment ago, that the heavens declare the glory of God. If that is true, he says in Romans 1, then we are without excuse because God is shouting at us through creation. Creation isn't enough to save us, but it is enough to witness to the fact that God exists. And that there is not only a natural world, but a, cre a created world, but a supernatural world that our five physical senses do not pick up on, but it is nonetheless very real. Now, if you fall into the category of being one of these kinds of people, I'm glad that you're here today. I really, really am. But I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to take a chance. Now, some people are in this category because they don't want to be bothered with the reality of, of the possibility of God. So that, that they're, they're in that category. They won't take a challenge whatsoever. But if you are open, I want to challenge you. If you fall into the category, you say, I just don't see it. I just don't understand. Would you just take this chance and say, God, if you are real, would you begin to reveal yourself to me? Would you begin to open up my ears so I can hear things I don't hear in the natural? Would you begin to open up my eyes so I begin to see things I don't see in the natural? Would you help me to begin to touch the reality of the supernatural? Because the truth is, unless you can make that, that step from the natural into the supernatural, you will never know what your life can be in the natural. The natural will be far less than what it could be if Jesus Christ were the Savior and Lord of your life. But even more so, you'll never know eternity with Jesus. So you've got to understand that there is a supernatural world that is out there. The second thing I want to talk about kind of involves a question. 
Why does a good God allow evil to exist? That, that is a huge question. And we probably all have struggled with that to one degree or another. The, the idea, if there's a loving, good God, why does he allow terrorism? If there's a loving, good God, why does he allow abuse? I was abused as a child. Why does he allow, my spouse is abusing me right now. Why does he allow this? I'm not saying my spouse. I, I'm saying hypothetically, although I could show you a few bruises. You come talk to me later. If there is a loving, good God, why is there disease? Why do these things exist? On and on and on we could go. And this is so big that to some people, it hinders them from believing that there is a good God. And so their logic might be, if God exists, is he good? Well, if he is, then he must not be very powerful because of all this evil that's around us. Why doesn't he put an end to it? Why doesn't he stop it? If he's good and he's God, then why is this all going on? He must not be very powerful. Or if he, in fact, does exist, maybe he's not a good God. Maybe he's a bad God. And that's why there's all this evil in the world today. And so the conclusion of people is that either he doesn't or exist, or if he does, he's a rather powerless God, or worse, he's maybe even a bad and evil God himself. And that's why all of this is going on. But here's what I want you to understand. God did not create the world the way it is today. He created it perfect. He created it without sin or hatred or acts of violence or disease or deceit or any evil. But the one thing that he gave his highest creation, mankind, was a free will. He didn't create us to have to love him. He gave us the right to choose. You know, being forced to do something doesn't make that act an act of the heart. What makes a marriage so special is that both husband and wife are committed to each other willingly. Not out of duty. We're willingly committed to one another. And sometimes that's hard because sometimes she's wrong. How many of you guys know what I mean? We got some courageous men out here. Hallelujah. I'll pray for you this afternoon, let me tell you. <laughs> or dare I say, sometimes he's wrong. I won't ask for a show of hands on that one. <laughs> but we do so willingly. We lay ourselves, you know, this is where we learn to not be selfish. We lay our selfish desires aside for the good of us together. Not just for me, personally. God never wanted us to have to love him. That wouldn't be real love, would it? He wants us to choose to love him, to choose to obey him, to choose to follow him. Which means we can also choose not to love him. 
and not to follow him and not to obey him. And that's what's happened in the world. The world is full of evil because people have by and large chosen to walk away from a good, loving God and allow their own selfishness to rule their lives, which means they often do what is in their own best interest regardless of the effect it has on other people. Now, not everyone does that to the same degree. But still, the truth from God's point of view is given to us in Romans 3.23 when the Lord says, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That, that's, that's the truth from God's point of view. You can agree with that or not. I'm just saying that's what God says. God says, all of us have sinned. So if you feel like you're the only sinner in this place, you're just in a company of sinners. We're all sinners here, who, but many of us have, have found that God's glorious standard can be reestablished in our lives through Jesus Christ, and we've turned our lives over to Him. That's the only difference. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. So to one degree or another, we have all walked away from God. And that rebellion has produced terrible consequences on the whole planet. That's where war comes from. Our rebellion against God. All of it. That's where acts of violence come from. That's where, that's where disease comes from. They're all consequences of our rebellion against God. And the Bible tells us that one day Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom. And when he does... Evil will be banished completely. Hallelujah. But until then, we all live with the consequences of the evil choices that people make every day. So somebody walks into a grocery store this past week and opens fire and shoots a little kid who's already struggling with terminal cancer. And the kid will live. The, the bullet was not fatal. But the tragedy of that, and we say, God, how can you let that happen? God doesn't make that happen. It happens because evil men have put their own desires on the throne of their life. And that's what rules them. And they do what they choose to do with their life. And it affects people who are totally innocent. Number three, I want to tell you that Satan and God are not equals. And this is a huge misconception. A lot of people, including some believers, I might add, think that Satan is equal with God. And they conclude that because they think evil exists and evil acts occur it must mean that God's not able to do anything about it, and so they come to this conclusion that Satan and God must be equal in their power. There's a, another similar misconception that Jesus and Satan are equals. Equals. Sometimes people will see God the Father as, uh, as supreme, but then they'll see Jesus down here, and, and maybe Satan. So you have God up here, Jesus, and, and Satan over here like, like they're on the same level. But both of these beliefs are wrong. The scriptures reveal the absolute truth 
reveals that God exists eternally as one God in three persons. Now, I will, con- I will grant you that, that is a great mystery. One God comprised of three distinct persons. But that's who God is. It's a mystery. People say to me, I don't understand that. I don't either. But I figure any God I can understand isn't much of a God. Just want to throw that out to you. Maybe you're really super smart. I'm not. So any God that I can understand, he must not be much of a God. This is beyond my comprehension, how you can have one God in three persons, but that is exactly what the Bible says God is. He exists as Father, He exists as Son, who is Jesus, and He exists as Holy Spirit. And all three of these persons of the Godhead are equally God in and of themselves, but but they are together one God. Now, here's what I want you to see. Satan is not a part of the picture of the Godhead. He's not in there. He's not the fourth person. Nope. He's he's, he's a created being. Satan, and by the way, his name, Satan, the name Satan means adversary, was created by God and originally given the name Lucifer, which means bearer of light. He was a light bearer. That's very positive, full of the glory of God. He was the highest of all God's creation when he was created. And he was spectacular in his glory. But pride entered Lucifer's heart, and along with one-third of the angels that he convinced to go with him, they rebelled against God. Oh, brother. Now, we do the same thing. But you've got to figure this kind of rebellion, this kind of war was really foolish. I mean, surely they would have known they had no chance. And they had no chance. They were easily defeated and cast out of heaven to take up residence upon the earth. They didn't die because they weren't physical. They were spiritual beings. They will never cease to exist. They will be judged. I'll get to that in a minute. But they will never cease to exist. So they were cast down upon this earth. Talking to his disciples about this, Jesus told them in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Boom! I mean, it came down. There was just no question where God was putting them. Boom! Down they came, you know. So Satan then is a fallen angel whose mission now is to convince you and me to join him in this this flawed rebellion against God. Because here's the problem. This is why Satan hates you so much. You have taken his place as the highest of God's creation. You see, Satan was the highest of God. Lucifer was the highest of God's creation. When he fell, God created the human race. And humanity took the place of Lucifer, took the place of Satan as God's highest creation. And so Satan has made it his objective to take every one of us down so that we might lose our eternal soul. He doesn't love you. He doesn't want the best for you. He will entrap you in sin and guilt to make you feel like you can never measure up to what God wants you to be. Now, he was not originally created as an adversary. 
He took on that role when he rebelled against God. But he's been allowed to take on that role to test our love for God. We will, so it gets down to this. Will we love God and follow him or not? Or will we love ourselves and put our selfish desires on the throne of our lives? He is the one who tests us in this area so that our, our, the intention of our love for God can be shown for what it is. If you and I choose to love ourselves above God, we are falling right into Satan's trap. Say, well, I would never follow Satan. Well, it's not necessary that you ever worship Satan. In fact, he doesn't care if you ever bring his name up. Because the results remain the same. If you engage in the rebellion against him, or against God, the consequences of that rebellion will be just as great upon you as if you worship Satan outright. Because that rebellion puts you as an enemy of God and a recipient of his judgment. That rebellion is what destroyed Satan, destroyed Lucifer. And folks, just as it destroyed Lucifer, it will also destroy you and me if we give ourselves to it. And that brings me to my last point, which is the reason why I say this. Judgment of evil will come. It may not seem like it right now. It kind of seems like almost everybody can get away with just about anything. And evil men are waxing worse and worse. The Bible said that would happen. But the Bible does teach us that judgment will come someday. First of all, judgment will come to Satan himself. Satan is going to be judged. Listen to what Revelation 20 verse 10 says. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Yeah, give God praise for that. Now, the reason I say that, that Satan can be judged and condemned is because, again, he's not equal with God. If he were equal with God, God couldn't do anything about him. But God's going to take care of him and judge him because he's not equal with God. He's a created being. He is creature. God is creator. And one day he will be eternally judged by his creator. Until then, he's going to be allowed to serve God's purposes. But he is not co-equal with God. In fact, even believers, get this, if you are full of the Spirit of God, you have authority over Satan himself. 1 John 4, 4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Hallelujah. Give God praise for that one. So, who is, so all right, let's get down to it. Who is in you? Well, if you're a committed follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God lives within you. If you've given yourself over to Him, if you've made Him Savior and Lord of your life, 
He is inside of you. He who is in you, the Spirit of God, is greater than he who is in the world. Who's in the world? It's the spirit of Satan, the Satan and his demonic horde. He who is in you is greater than Satan and his demonic horde. Believers never need to be scared of the enemy because we are overcomers over Satan, not in our power, but through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And we give him praise. Satan is under a death sentence. And one of these days, that judgment's going to be carried out. But not only is Satan under the death sentence, not only is he going to be judged, but the Bible also teaches us that evil men will be judged. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 tells us, it is appointed for men to die once, but that's not the end of it. After that comes judgment. I want you to understand, you may be late for every appointment that you ever make in your life. But there's an appointment that none of us will be late for. And we can never get out of it. It's for all of us. No one is exempt. Number one, it's an appointment with death. Verse 27, it's appointed to men once to die. And number two is the appointment with judgment. We will all stand before God and give an account of our lives. Now here's what I want you to understand. That, see, that can be a scary thought right there, but here's what I want you to understand. If you stand before God with only your own goodness as your defense, you're in trouble. Well, God, don't you know all the good things I did? I went down to the homeless shelter and I helped and, and I mowed my yard. And, and I even once mowed a neighbor's yard. And um, God, I work 40 hours a week. God, you know, if that's, if that's what you have when you stand before God, you're in trouble. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, verse 6, we are all infected and impure with sin when we display our righteous deeds look at this they are nothing but filthy rags like autumn leaves we wither and fall and our sins sweep us away like the wind but if we stand before God with the blood of Jesus covering our sins we are declared innocent we are declared righteous. We are declared justified. Justified is a terribly um, theological kind of word that you may not understand, but here's a simple way to remember what justified means. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. What does that mean? That means that when God sees you, he looks at the screen of your life and he sees the blood of Jesus there. He doesn't see any sin that you ever committed in your life. It's as if you lived a totally pure life all of your life. You will be innocent before God. You'll be righteous before God. You'll be justified before God. And you'll be accepted before God. That's what the following verse, going back to Hebrews 9, tells us. But let's read them both together. 
Hebrews 9, verses 27 and 28. We already read 27. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And he will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Hallelujah. So what that is saying is that you and I have a choice. We can face our future day of judgment on our own merits, or we can face it having accepted Christ as the sacrifice for our sin, for our salvation. What I'm here to tell you is there's absolutely no reason for you to be judged with Satan, for you to be judged with evil men. You can face that day where we will stand before God, because all of us will. You can face that day with confidence, knowing that it's the blood of Jesus that has covered it all. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.